it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? We are back. I'm Chris Adams. You're listening to the Pink Elephant Podcast. Today, I have Jim Saliba with us. Um, been doing this for a few years. Started off on on the in the really the tech side. Um, became a vice president before venturing out and really focusing your attention on leadership specifically. So, Jim, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be here, Chris. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. I tell you, um, I guess the first question I have to ask is, when did you realize leadership specifically that it was such an important part of your role um, in your positions of growth, right? Because I assume you you didn't start as a vice president for of a $4 billion tech company. So during that path and, uh, that you went on, when did you realize that leadership became such a huge component? Um, at one point in my career, after a big reorganization in the company I was with, I ended up being a manager, my first management role, but I had three teams under me. It wasn't like I went and had a small team and then grew. I, I was dumped into it, felt like jumping into the pool in the deep end all at once. Yeah. And quite honestly, it totally scared me. And I really wanted to do a good job. So I started doing a lot of reading of books, doing seminars. I went back to university, got my MBA and hundreds and hundreds of hours. So and I realized that um, there's a big difference between being an individual contributor and then a manager. And a manager is much different than being a leader. So every time yeah. you do that step up, that fear comes in all over again. It's that weird thing that you hear people say nowadays, the imposter syndrome. Um, mm. and, and the reality is, I don't think nobody knows what they're doing until they figure it out. Right. I, I mean, I, I was just watching a video, I think yesterday, an early video of Jeff Bezos and he had no clue what he was doing early on. And he talks about that. Now um, he had an idea. He had a, he was passionate about something and he went after it. And, you know, that's part of that journey and that path of becoming what people believe is an expert. It, it, it's what we call experience and you have to yeah. learn how to fail to get there. But we're so afraid of it mm -hmm. that we can't sometimes move forward. And I have what I call the four fears of leadership, my four categories of what stop leaders from moving forward. And the first one you already said that I call the fear of incompetence, but that's the imposter syndrome. Yeah. And when we get that, it really kills self-confidence because you have that story going over in your head over and over and over again that kind of stops you from moving forward. The problem is the fear, all my four fears, it's not just about you. When you have it, it causes a behavior that ends up replicating within your team or your whole organization. So when you are uncertain, in your imposter syndrome, it causes a culture of uncertainty for your whole team. Yeah. 
My second quadrant is fear of appearing foolish. So it's about wanting approval for things, FOMA, those things come in, but it creates resistance to change because I want to stay with things that I know that works because it's comfortable for me. So you're building a culture that doesn't believe in innovation or change. The third one is fear of failure. Like we never had that when we were trying to get A's to make our parents happy growing up, right? But it's funny. I see this, it creates a culture of blame because I want to not decide on what I'm doing. So I push a decision someplace else, up to my boss or out to another team. So when it doesn't work, I can point the finger at somebody else. Yeah. And the last one is the fear of vulnerability. If you see Brene Brown's work, she talks about this a lot, right? But it creates a culture of mistrust because we have to put together a facade, a false us to, to present to other people and people see through that and mistrust grows. So fear yeah. stops us, but it also creates bad behaviors in our teams. You know, you these are great. I mean, those four that you just listed, your quadrant, as you call them, I think that's something that you know every leader, every organization can can put into place. And you you said something that I wanted to ask you because you know I we our company we have the opportunity to work with a lot of large organizations, and you see this the fear of um, when you talked about innovation, it, it stifles innovation. Mm-hmm. Right. When, when you start having this fear of failure, um, you don't see change start taking place. How much do you think that because I, I look at certain senior leaders in some of these organizations and they refuse to step outside the box or do anything that's pushed the envelope. Um, and yes, it's a fear of failure, but I think that fear of failure is also tied back to um, finances. And the fact mm-hmm. that a lot of times if I if I stay within this bubble, I know I can reach X goal. And if I reach X goal, it gets me the bonus I need, which then makes sure that my family's taken care of. How much do you think that as you continue to work yourself up the ladder and you get these titles, you know, vice president, senior vice president, all these things, but are you really are you really given an opportunity to lead when you're in those roles? Uh, or do they stifle it? senior leadership because they put parameters around what you can or can't do? Um, I think those parameters around it are different from company to company and has changed over the years. I think the the parameters of not having failure at all mm-hmm. is, is giving a way to, well, I need some failure to learn. Without that, we don't yeah. learn. I mean, we talked about experience. That's what experience is. And what works for me today in this organization may not work for me tomorrow with a different team or a different organization. And without the room to experiment, I'm never going to grow. I think more lately, as we talk about company cultures and having a quote unquote, culture of learning, we're starting to allow that leadership growth a little bit more path than we had in the, in previous years. Yeah. Um, but when you're in maybe a smaller startup where we're experimenting, 
that works great. As you move big into larger and larger organizations, you get a little more stifled into, well, why'd you do that? Yeah. I could have told you that wouldn't have worked, right? Yeah. You brought up culture. Um, You know, that word is used a lot right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I was just reading, it talked about um, the, the next generation of workers, one of the biggest um, challenges that we're facing right now is the fact that do they really have a purpose in what they're doing? And that purpose typically is attached to culture. What do you, what is your interpretation? What do you believe great culture is at an organization? Oh, that's, that's a hard one. But um, I look at culture as a bookend to emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence came up through the years. I guess it started around 20-ish years ago. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about EQ and emotional intelligence, it's more one-to-one. How am I handling my one-on-one communication? Am I seeing you for you? Am I understanding you as a person? Well, the other side of that is to do one-to-many. Well, that's where culture comes in. And often you'll have a great company culture, but managers with low EQ, that's not good. And if you have the opposite, that doesn't work either. That's why I call them bookends. They work together. I believe today in, I've been mostly tech and software development. I believe experimenting is the whole way companies move forward. If you look at your smartphone, The way we deliver software now is in little bits. How many times do you have an app on your phone update? Probably every day. Where years ago, we used to only do releases once a year, once two years. It was big things, big, massive things. So that allows us to experiment and try things differently and move in directions faster than we ever were able to before. And when we fail, we make a smaller crater than if we did this big release and it didn't work. True. So so culture of learning, culture of experimenting, I think is what companies need nowadays. Yeah, I find that culture has... I always use the term, I think companies do a phenomenal job at the creation of culture. And I think for most people that go to start a company, you know, wherever you've done that, you know, many times sitting in a bar somewhere, you come up with this great idea and now you're, you're ready to start your, your company and you've got written on a, on a piece of paper or a, or a Bev napkin, you know, this is my mission statement. Hmm. Here are my pillars here, right? We're, I think companies are great at coming up with what they believe. I think where we find the struggle is the cultivation of that culture. It's the the day in and day out of we're great to talk about it. We hire somebody mm-hmm. and in an onboarding process, HR does a phenomenal job of pushing out what the culture is of the company. I guess I always ask the question, six months later, does your company live and breathe everything that you were told about the culture on day one? Right. Is it part of the DNA Mm -hmm. of how you actually operate? Can you can you look at all choices and decisions that are being made and do they reflect the culture that you say you believe? And I think that's where we struggle many times as as organizations is that day to day. Are we really living what we say we are? Right. Right. Oh, right on. Because 
I can't tell you how many companies I talk to and they say, oh, I want to go and do this and change the culture and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, what is the outcome you're looking for? Why, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Well, other companies are doing it. I feel I need to do it too. Well, that's not the reason to do it. Yeah. And I ask about mission statement and the pillars and their values and so on. They said, oh, yeah, we did that with a consultant a few years ago, <laughs> right? And it went on a shelf. So what they say are their values and what they say is their mission isn't what happens in the day-to-day. So there's a gap between yep. knowing and doing. And the companies that can bridge that gap, which is a lot of work, and it's yep. work every single day. When you think you're blue in the face and you communicated it, you're just barely scratching the surface. It's a it's lot so of work. True. It's so true. It, yep. it has to be literally a daily, constant communication. Mm-hmm. And I think why, in my opinion of like you get to, to work with a lot of different companies around this, I think where the struggle is of companies really understanding the importance of it is you most companies, especially nowadays, are driven off of a PL, right? It's hmm. what does the numbers tell me? And until you can attach culture, that how culture attaches itself to an ROI, and mm-hmm. you can say our numbers change because of culture, that's when it almost sadly, because we start doing it for the wrong reasons sometimes, but that's when uh, the leaders of, of companies start to go, wait a minute. Now it becomes really important to us because I can see how the culture starts to basically implement and attach mm-hmm. itself to the numbers, which is what is, you know, unfortunately most important many times within these organizations. So that ROI piece is, is crazy important to the culture side. It, it, it is. It, if it's a business. So the finances are very important. Yeah. Um, I've been with a number of organizations and when the, we're doing well, there's a lot of waste and bad things going on and we just don't know it or realize it because the money's happening. Yeah. As soon as the economy changes or competition starts setting in and we have to watch things and the money isn't there, we start seeing how much our culture of waste happens and, and we say, oh my God, we've been doing it this way. How did we ever survive, right? How did we ever get here? Um, but that's part of the whole culture of the organization and, and how it grows. But we can control that. Yeah. We can work with it. Too many companies allow the culture to grow organically and it grows on its own and it probably in a direction that you really don't want. Yeah. If you stay on top of it and you work with it and you communicate it and continue and fill that knowledge to knowing gap, right? Um, you can build a culture that people want to be involved in. I was just on a phone call with someone who many years ago was doing a lot of employee engagement studies mm-hmm. and said, we get all this data and companies don't use it very well. Either it's incomplete, they take surveys, but they don't do really much with it. Um, but we're entering a new era 
with uh, different workers in our workplace, as I say, that have grown through Xbox and PlayStation and all that, we can use some of those gamification type mechanics in work to help keep our employees engaged, have fun, allowed to experiment, allowed to try things and say, oh, this one didn't work. Well, let me try that one. That will level me up. Yeah. It's funny. You talk about employee engagement. I, I remember when I was on property um, working for Ritz Carlton and you know we would have our employee engagement survey every single year it was done. And I, I think back from when I was um, a line level employee to work myself up to become a leader, to then becoming a senior leader. And the, hey guys, you know, big meetings, the employee engagement surveys coming up in, in, the, in the next month. What are we doing to make sure that we score well, right? And it's like the 30 days leading up to it. That we're throwing pizza parties, bringing ice cream, all the things you could do in a 30 day window to make sure it looks good on paper. And now to, to get to this point in my career and I'm going, man, talk about just a total miss on the purpose of it and why you why you want to have employee engagement and what are you doing 12 months out of the year not 30 days leading into a survey mm -hmm. to make sure it looks good on paper um so it, you brought that up and it brought back fond memories of uh yep. ice cream and pizza parties to make sure we score well on the uh, you know the eES scores yep yep i i remember that in in those days too more recent years um, we would have an employee survey, but after that, there was a whole thing about, okay, each, each manager, each group got their piece of it. Well, it was a whole thing. What are you doing now for yeah. our next survey? So we were getting ahead of it. It was a little bit better, but it was still mostly about how to just, how do we make the number go up? Not, yeah. well, how do we really get employees engaged? Yeah. But if we bring them engaged, that piece of effort that they might not have brought in before, a little extra time, is now coming to your, your organization, right? Yeah. And the whole thing, I mentioned gamification and, and the employee survey when we do the gamification based on what the goals of the organization is, it doesn't work. If you're building your survey, your gamification to help move the goals of the player or the employee, then it works. The magic comes, how do we align the two? Hmm. Makes sense. It's really making sure that what you're focused on are the right things. Um, I, I love that you're bringing up gamification and how it's used in, you know, you think gamification and initially like what, what's gaming have to do with it, but no, I think it's a tool of, of how mm. you're, I mean, we're looking at gamification on training um, and how, how you train your team members now versus the old way of, of training them. Um, and then the ability to tap into what they're used to and the way they're accustomed to learning. And I think you look at things like a Duolingo and learning how to, uh, you know, learn a language. There's a lot of gamification that's, that's utilized in that, that app um, and how mm -hmm. you learn. And the more we can transition our traditional methods 
of how we used to teach and how we used to invest into our teams and thinking about more from a gamification perspective, one, I think you're going to get way better results um, mm-hmm. out of it. Um, and it probably a lot more efficient too in, in the way you roll it out. Well, in the old days training, while still a lot of companies do it, I need you to be a leader, Chris. I'm going to send you to a class for three days. You're <laughs> going to go do it, right? You go to the class. You come back with a nice binder. It goes on the shelf. The company says, voila, Chris now is a great leader. Yeah. But everything you learned is in that binder. You're not using it. Studies have showed within seven days, two weeks, you forgot 80% of what you learned. Yeah. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I went into coaching because coaching then takes it and has you use things, has you experience things, has you try things. Did it work for you? What didn't work? What are you Mm going to try next? Right. That whole reflection, trying things and reflecting on it is how we learn. When we were kids, elementary school, we were sponges. We just sat there, listened and learned. As adults, we're experiential. We learn by trying things. If we can't experiment, if we can't try things out, we don't learn. I think it's this is such an important topic, and we you know could probably sit for, for hours talking about it because I'll sit in meetings and we talk about our consumers different now than they were ten years ago, and everyone agrees with that statement. Yep. Um, but though you talked about change earlier. And, and how change is difficult from a human perspective. Most human beings struggle with change just in general. And I think when we talk about let's shift the focus from our consumer and how are, what are we doing differently to, to maximize dollars and efficiencies with them and transition that to our internal guests, our team members, those, those mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, the team members that work for our organizations, what are we doing different for them? If our consumer's changing, that means that our team members are also changing. Right. Mm-hmm. And are we still doing the same things we've always done and trying to get different results? We're, we're wanting our team members to be different. We know now that the majority of our workforce prefers to work remote versus going into offices and all these things have transitioned. And, and really, the pandemic helped speed those things up. But what are we doing different in our organizations to get results from our internal guests? And I think this is this is exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Are we utilizing things like gamification and ways to invest into our team members to get different results from them? And I mean, I love the fact that we have individuals like yourself that are leading the charge on this to help organizations think differently in how to get these results. Well, it's somebody has to do it. So why not me? (laughs) But yes, if we don't try things differently and, you know, I, I, I kind of do these personality tests and they always say I'm the one that's kind of the maverick that will be outside the norm, that will try things. And I'm not fear, I don't fear of failure or doesn't, I'll brush myself off and get mm-hmm. up again and try something else. And going through life like that, I thought it was normal, but I'm not. People are different, right? People don't like the change. And that's how I came up more talking about experiments, because I don't talk about change. I talk about doing experiments. People say, ah, 
It's a, just an experiment. We'll try it out. If it doesn't work, we go back. That's good. It's not as fearful. So people do it. And then when they see something different and it worked, may not even have worked all the way, but we see a little bit of in the right direction. Oh, that worked a little bit. What do we do to make it better? Yes. Yeah. Next experiment. And the next one. That's great. And before just, you know you it. Play on words. Yeah. Just changing the verbiage uh, shifts a mindset, which, which opens people up to, to experiment with something different versus, oh my God, I'm, I'm scared to change. That's good. I, I, I love that approach actually. As coming from the tech world, I think one of the, the number one topics right now, um, all over the way in every workshop I'm in or a convention, you name it is AI. And <sighs> you, you go from, I was just recently at a convention and they were talking, AI was a, a big topic and it literally, the audience went from, oh my God, robots are going to take over the world and kill us all. <laughs> And like there was, it was zero to 60. There was no in between of there's a benefit from it. It was, oh my God, we're all going to die. How do you see AI continuing to, to integrate itself in a positive way versus mm -hmm. the immediate fear of, of what's happening um, with AI right now? Well, I could talk about experimenting again, but anyway, um, AI right now, a lot of people are talking about AI in that, oh, I can create things faster. Mm -hmm. Anything that I have to write, I have to produce a training material. There's so much stuff out there. Why reinvent the wheel? It can help us do some of those things faster. And I use it for that. However, um, are, is it going to be a way that it's going to take over the world? I think we have a long, long time before that even happens. Yeah. I, I mean, hopefully. Uh, I think there's so many areas that AI can be an asset to what we're, we're doing, um, can benefit our organizations. And in our world, you know, we do a lot in the hospitality uh, sector, right? And one way that I talk about it, the fact that in hospitality in general, whether we're talking about hotels, restaurants, is our labor, the, the our labor models aren't the same as they used to be. Um, they were already shrinking. Our owners were looking for more so that the response typically is cut. So we have a fraction of the number of people doing the same job, if not more than we had before. And then the pandemic happens, which then, you know, cut that model even more. So I look at that and I go, okay, that's not going to change. Like something's not going to happen. We're not owners like, Hey, you know what? Bring on 50 more leaders uh, into, into the hotel, bring on 150 more. So like, that's not going to happen. The labor model is what it is now. Yet we know the expectations of our consumer and our guests has actually increased from what is before. So that's not, a, a, normally it's not a good formula. Expectations are higher yet. The people we have to execute on them is lower. Like that's, that's typically not a, a winning formula. So I, I look at AI as an opportunity to say, where can I fill the gaps? Mm -hmm. Where are those things that I know that I can utilize this technology to give time back to the team members that I do have so they can focus on the things that are most important? And I think that's where AI becomes a huge asset. Um, if right. we look at it the right way, 
versus immediately going to, you know, are they, are they going to take over the world? Um, and <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look at how companies grow, there's a difference between companies growing versus companies scaling up. Growing is a model. You look at Uber, they only have one way to grow as a company, get more drivers, but you're not going to get one person driving six cars, right? That's how you would scale. In my organization, we would automate things, make QA easier, run automated tests, right? Do things like that where one person can now do more work. Companies can scale that way. Um, AI can help that, help that happen, that scalability of different things. So true. And it's cool to see. I know we're working um, on the tech side of developing some of that um, software utilizing AI to help fill some of those gaps. And it's exciting to see companies now realizing this and, and being open to and aggressively starting to push in that direction. So that, that's great to see. From a leadership perspective, mm -hmm. what are the things right now that you are seeing as a huge focus for you um, and your company? And how different is it now than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago? Um, what you're focusing on now, how different is it now from then? Um, my biggest thing is I, I help leaders build better teams, grow better teams, have a vision and a strategy, being able to execute, having executive presence, all those things to grow better teams. I My mission, we talked about a mission statement, is to... Um, transform the world of work and make it better, a world that we want to be part of. I would say teams a few years ago, pre-pandemic, are completely different than teams nowadays post-pandemic. As you said, people want to be remote. Companies are starting to want people back. Why is that? Part of the problem we're seeing is that productivity worked people working from home, but creativity, innovation has actually gone down. Mm. Why is that? Because the sociability of humans is not the same when we're doing Zoom and things like that. When we get together in a room and a whiteboard and markers and start talking and brainstorming, things, that energy is completely different. So trying to bring that innovation and that creativity to teams now in a hybrid way of doing things is an enormous change than a few years ago. Man, you, you just said a lot. Um, I couldn't agree more. I, we, our company, our team is remote. Um, I mean, we have people that live all over the world. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you. I miss, I miss an office. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is I miss, I miss walking into a space and having actual human contact with our team and going into that room, like you said, with the whiteboards and all this stuff to this day, when I'm able to be in the same space with, with our team members or some of our senior leaders, I have, I get more done. I'm, I'm more creative just being physically with them mm -hmm. and 
I, I think that is a huge challenge right now is to figure out, and I, I love your continued thoughts on this, on how do you transition your team members that want to be remote and they enjoy being remote, yet we know as a company and an organization that we actually get better results when we're not remote. Mm -hmm. How do you blend those two worlds to make it work where everyone's happy? Because look, at the end of the day, I am obsessed with, with with making sure my team is happy and not just happy, but um, um, successful and fulfilled and maximizing them as human beings and and their talents and putting them in positions they never thought they'd be in. Like I, I live for that. That's part of what I believe leadership is. At the same time, we still have to run a business, right? Mm -hmm. We still have to make sure that the, the dollars and the revenues coming in to ensure that we can pay our team members and continue to grow and continue to hire more people. So there has to be a balance between running your business and being a good steward, yet also doing all the things that we're talking about of, hey, they want to be remote. They want to do this. Um, you know, we just eliminating vacation time. So there's, you know, it's unlimited vacation, all these things. How do you find that hybrid where they go, man, Chris, you're right. Actually being at the office today, just it was fulfilling and it, it made an impact and a difference versus wanting to be at home. I don't know what the perfect hybrid model would be. I would be a millionaire right now if I could tell everybody that because that's what everybody's looking for. Yeah. But this has a lot to do with culture and all the other things that we were talking about. But we do know getting people together at some points in time will work. Some companies are working together and say, okay, you can have two days at home. Let's be in the office three days a week. Some day, some say any three days you want. Some companies are saying, no, it has to be the same three days. Otherwise, we're missing the point and we're not getting together. You're going to yep. go in the office and no one's going to be there. What's the point? Yeah. So what the magic formula is going to be, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And every company is going to be a little bit different. But yeah. we do know that getting together, whether it's just for some offsites. I mean, even before when we were in the office, we would do offsites to get people together from different offices and different locations. And how much did we get done in those few days over months of other times? Well, you're seeing companies now going, you know, shifting to a four day work week instead of a five day work week. Right. And cool. Uh, it's great. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about getting results. Um, my biggest fear is depending on the industry you're in will help determine whether that's okay or not. Like if, if every week now Fridays is no longer a work, a work day, yet we're in an industry where all of our clients still work on Fridays, then it becomes a huge challenge to be able to accommodate mm -hmm. that, that happening. So it's, um, it is really interesting to see this transition continue to happen between finding the balance between fulfilling, mm -hmm. um, uh, giving you purpose slash right. we still have to, you, you still have to be able to run your business. Um, and that's it, it, it's a, it's a tough, yep. tough to find. People were human. We're messy. There's yep. nothing neat and clean about us. 
in the turn of the century, the early 1900s, where everything was manufacturing, not too many people were educated, just the the management. And uh, it was easy. You do this, you do it this way, period, case closed. You don't do it, you're gone, right? We didn't worry about EQ and emotional intelligence and engagement and all those things. Once we bring us fast forward to now, where most of us have gone to school, probably a a bachelor's or more, knowledge-based workers, human things are coming into it. How do we treat each other? How do we make it more human? How do we make it more successful? It's going to be a long time before we truly figure it out. And we would evolve into something else by then, probably. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, well, it's funny now, pardon me, you're seeing now more and more people that are stepping away from traditional schooling and university. You have so many areas and opportunities now to learn, to educate yourself without the traditional, I'm going to university that you're seeing now a decline of, of individuals saying, well, I don't really need to go to school. I just read um, some, a new percentage came out of the number of fortune 500 companies that were now eliminating the education piece on applications uh, to whereas before it said you had to have a minimum of X to apply for this job. They're eliminating that altogether because they're feeling like we're missing out on, you know, great potential candidates because of a question that's almost becoming antiquated um, in in the way that people learn now. It's, it's mm-hmm. such an interesting uh, what's happening. I do know um, many of the job descriptions that I worked on over the years, that question was was changed to this level of education or equivalent experience, mm-hmm. right? We, we used to balance it that way. Yeah. But st- but still, HR mostly looked at the education side. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I tell you, it is an ever-changing world. Um, it, it's things are changing faster now than ever before, and we are forced to make sure that we are okay with experimenting. I'll use your terminology mm-hmm. because if not life, life organization work, whatever you want to call it will pass us by and we will become obsolete in our thinking. Um, and mm-hmm. those that we're trying to attract. So I am going, I'm going to steal or borrow whatever you want to say, your term of experimentation versus change to make people feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Cause I, I love that approach. I, I, it's, it's yours to use. <laughs> no problem. Um, I, it was just my own way of, figuring things out over time. It, it is softer, easier for people to do. And instead of saying, we're going to do this big change. No, it's, it's great and genius. And I, I think it's an easy way to get people to get buy-in to at mm-hmm. least start working on things to, to see if we can get some different results. Right. So I love everything about that. So you have to put a timeline with it. Don't forget because that's something that people don't do. They say, oh, I'm going to try this. They don't really put a timeline. They don't put what they expect out of it. Three months later, you'll go to them. Did that work? Well, I don't know, because we did six things at the same time, and we don't know which worked and which didn't work. And 
I mean, that takes us to one, the law of diminishing returns, trying to do too many things at one time. And then, you know, is it, is it Stephen Covey X to Y by when of, of making sure that where are we going and when are we doing it by? So love right. everything about that. Awesome. Well, look, I can't thank you enough for taking a few minutes talking about leadership, talking about what you have been working on, uh, giving me some great, some great tools that we're going to start to implement as well. If individuals or organizations want to get in touch with you to see how they can uh, get you involved with what they're doing, pick your brain, whatever it might be, what's the best way that people can can get in touch with you, Jim? Uh, one or two ways. Of course, there's my website, which is jamessaliba.com, my name. But find me on LinkedIn. Um, I use LinkedIn a lot. I'm there every day. And matter of fact, underneath my picture, underneath the headline is a link to make a virtual coffee meeting with me. You want to spend 30 minutes and chat about your issue, please feel free to do it. No sales pitch will happen. I love that. Are, are you, not to derail a little bit here, but how long have you been doing that? I've been doing it for a couple of years now, and uh, some people have been taking advantage of it um, a little more now. I may have to kind of limit how many I do, but this is how I talk to people, how I get ideas. And the more that. people I talk to, the better it is. I'm not I in an that. office anymore. I, I, yeah, I, I know. And it's such a great way to take advantage of the tools that are out there with technology, social media, and LinkedIn's that, that weird business version of social media that really gives you an opportunity to connect on, um, you know, a business level with, with others. So I love that you're doing that. That's great. So everyone, please go check that out, whether it's through his website, jamesaliba.com, or like he said, through LinkedIn and it, do it now before he, uh, he starts changing things and <laughs> have as much access to him. Go book your coffee, your coffee talk session with, with Jim now. Thanks everyone for joining us. I am Chris Adams. You've been listening to the Pink Elephant Podcast. Please click that button to subscribe to us. You can find us at our website, ellisadamsgroup.com, or you can find me on social at chrisadams.official. Thanks everyone for uh, taking some time today and we'll see you next week.